in three, two, one. Many businesses start without a plan, letting their entrepreneurial spirit drive their success. There does come a time where the business begins to take over and seemingly gets away from the owner. Frustration, angst, and confusion creep in and the business is now driving the owner. This episode will bring to light some points that when honed can get your business back on the right track, putting you in complete control once again, where you now run the business. To help us understand how to do that is my guest, Cliff Quicksell. Well, hi, Cliff. Welcome to the podcast. We're delighted to have you. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Where are we talking to you from? Where are, where are you today? I'm in beautiful Walkersville, Maryland. We had four days of rain, but right now it is absolutely stellar. It's absolutely beautiful. Well, Cliff, thanks for joining us. Now, you have an extensive background in marketing where you help your clients position and elevate their brand. You've got a number of tools that you use to do that, and we'll talk about some of that. And you also understand the perils of operating a small business, and you've nearly gone bankrupt, I think, five times, but you've also built multi million dollar equity positions in organizations and companies, and you've won countless awards. I think it's over 30 plus at last count for your creative marketing campaigns. So you know what it's like to be in business for yourself and work in just about any condition environment. You've been around for a little while. How's it been going for you so far? How's it been going through the pandemic? What are you seeing? Well, for me personally, the pandemic, I think because I made the conscious choice not to let it get the best of me has been fine. I mean, certainly like you and I have talked in the past, I mean, everybody had to either pivot or lose. Right. And the people that actually, I think, really, really started thinking about their business and being hungry is a heck of a motivator. It's a good motivator. Yeah. At any Absolutely. Age. Right. And so I think that for me, it's been great. A lot of the people that I've coached and I work with over the last few years, have seen exceptional growth. Again, I think it's just making sure that we were channeling people's attention and focus in the right areas. Yeah, absolutely. Prior to the pandemic, companies would ask me, how do we see the future? What do we see going on from a sales marketing point of view? What's that going to look like from our perspective as marketers? And I used to tell them, hey, in 10 years, here's what's probably going to be the way it is. And I think the pandemic has accelerated that. I don't know what your feel is about that, but I think it's been compressed and we're there now. Oh, absolutely. It's interesting you should say that because, first of all, I've been accused of being too optimistic. <laughs> and I've said, you know what? Look, it's a choice. You can either choose to be optimistic or you can choose to be a downer. I mean, it's totally up to you. And guess what? You also have to be held accountable to the outcome of that choice as well. But to your point, I think it has accelerated it. And I think the other thing that it's really done is it really has made the true character in people surface. Right. It's really interesting. interesting. And this is what I counsel and coach people all the time. Look, when you're forced into a situation, you come out swinging or you just get beat up. Right. It's real simple. Right. And I tell people, don't forget where you were when this happened and how you surface from it. You're constantly having to look at how you reinvent yourself regularly. And even in flush times, I think people need to do that. I think before the pandemic, mediocrity took over with people and everybody just gets into a rut. They get complacent. The next thing, mediocrity sets in. And then all of a sudden people are like, well, where'd my clients go? And then all of a sudden this happens. 9-11 happened, like right. the SARS virus that happened. Then all of a sudden you are forced to do something. So hopefully people will learn from that and instill a plan in themselves on how they can continue to reinvent. 
No, I think you're exactly right. And what we saw 07, 08, we had the economy bust there with the financial challenges. 2010, we had SARS. There's always something coming around the corner or a black swan that we have to count on. So it's the adaptability and our ability to adapt. But that's what keeps us fresh. That's what kind of keeps it young. You mentioned a key word that you're on a mission to eliminate the mediocrity and fear that runs rampant in businesses, small or large. And if you're starting a business, and a lot of our audience are starting a side gig, they're maybe starting a new startup, it can be scary operating your own business. So as a speaker and an author, a consultant and business coach, let's talk about some of the real life lessons that you bring to sales and marketing teams. And you've talked about it, who are tired of hearing they can't do this or ready to stop letting others dictate the boundaries of their own success. What do you bring to the table to kind of help them there eliminate that mediocrity and fear that is so rampant? Well, I had a coach that helped me years ago. And one of the things that I really loved about him is that he never told me what I had to do. He actually gave me things to think about Mm -hmm. where I could come to my own conclusions. Right. And then he helped steer and guide me. And I think that was probably one of the best lessons that I ever learned. I mean, from a business standpoint, that guy actually saved me more than once. Right. Good coach. It really gave me some really solid direction. When we talk about helping people understand their business, I think too many people come in, and I don't know if you've experienced this as well, but they come in and this is what I'm doing. And I want to go from here moving forward. And sometimes I go, well, you know what? Maybe that's not the best solution. Maybe what we need is we need to go back and try to peel the layers of the onion. Because, you know, where you are now, you may have a ton of issues and challenges and problems that are just deeply rooted and seated there. And oftentimes you're going to have to maybe potentially get rid of those things before you can progress and move forward. Right. You know, it was interesting years ago when my son, God love him, when he came to me before he went to college and he said, Dad, what is the thing that I need to do to be very successful in college and in sports? And it's interesting how there's an overlap between sports, business, yeah. personal life. Good parallel. I said, I said, Alex, there's two things I would recommend. Number one, you have to be eligible. And number two, you have to be coachable. And he goes, what does that mean? I said, there's not a coach out there in the world that wants some player on the field that's going to be a D-rated student and not being, you have to participate in the education portion. That's first. And if you can be open to that and be eligible to play. Right. And that means doing the hard work off the field, then guess what? Then when you go to the field, then you have to be willing to be open and coachable. And I believe that if people can do those two things, and I guess when I say eligible in the business standpoint, you alluded to the fact, you more than alluded to the fact, and it's true that I nearly went bankrupt five times. (laughs) I wasn't eligible at that time. No, interesting. I wasn't eligible. I was, I had no business being the owner of a business. Right. I should have been less arrogant. I should have been a little bit more open to the possibilities of trying to seek out counsel and help and direction so that I could then transition into the next phase and grow. Now, fortunately, I came out on the other end of that, well, scathed, but not Right. You survived. You survived. I survived. Exactly. Right. But anyway, that would be my initial point when I'm talking to folks about being eligible and being open and coachable. Those are great insights. And it really does make sense. It's about being prepared, right? And all that work that goes on. A lot of people aren't coachable. You and I share similar backgrounds and experience. I had a number of businesses and my problem is I've got them built and then sold way too soon. I got in the water business years ago in filtered water 
And I got out after two years thinking, this will never be a big business. And of course, voila, it's bigger than Coke. So you make your mistakes, but those come from youth. And as we get older, we start to look and examine things a little differently. You know, one of the things I liked, I was listening to one of your interviews and you were talking about having a conversation with your son since you brought him up and where you were telling him how he has to look after himself. And that I think you referred to it is you can't serve from an empty cup and that you've got this priority pyramid. So you've got to start with yourself and then kind of work your way down. Let's talk about that for a little bit, because I think a lot of times people get into business, they get their opportunities, but they get their priorities in the wrong place. I know I have. I've put work ahead of a lot of things that were important at times in my life. And now, based on what you've talked about, I've actually made those adjustments and it makes for a more purposeful, fulfilling life. Let's talk about the pyramid of priorities there and your remarks to your son. Yeah, it was interesting if I could digress a moment. Sure. And I don't know if I have the story 100% correct, but I was in Puerto Rico speaking. And I remember reading in the paper or talking to a friend of mine there that the owner of the Bacardi Rum Factory sold the rum factory for like $990 million. And three weeks later, he passed away. Oh, man. And I thought to myself, man, that was just such an eye opener to me. Right. Now, I don't know that person from beans. I'm sure that's happened to a lot of people, but it really made me think what's most important, right? What is most important? And, you know, I went through full open Kimona here. I went through a rough spot with my son and daughter where, to your point, I was all about running the business. I had to be on top of the game. I had to be the best business owner. And that's true. I have to be the best business owner when it comes to the business. But I wound up neglecting the things that were most important. And it took me several years to build that relationship back with my two children. My son asked me about the success pyramid. He said, how do you manage your success? What are the things that you do to be successful? And I said, before you jump down my throat here, because I'm going to say <laughs> something you're going to find might be right. very arrogant. Right. I right. said, I come first. Right. He goes, wow, that sounds kind of selfish. I said, let me, let me explain it to you, bud. And I said, Alex, I come first, your mom, your sister, and you come second. Friends come third, and my job comes last. Right. He says, so how does that work? I said, think about this. And I said, by the way, it's just not dad. It's just not Cliff. It has to be you too. And I think if everybody thought like this, right. how much different would the world be? So I understand that, for instance, I come on this interview with you today. If I'm not on top of my game, right. or if I'm feeling sick, or I'm not happy, it's going to be reflective in the way this interview goes. That's right. If I pick up the phone and I'm miserable on the phone, guess what? I might not even know that I'm doing subconsciously, just the tone of my voice or the way I'm carrying myself is going to be reflective in the way people are going to either receive the information or whatnot. So I look at it this way. If I'm on top of my game mentally, spiritually, and physically, and those can mean a lot of things for a lot of sure. different people. In my world, what that means to me, if I'm on top of my game, everybody that I touch benefits. Yeah, well, that self-care is important. It's the putting on the oxygen mask before everyone else. You're on the airplane. We got a problem. You got to take care of you. Then you can take care of those that are near you. And often as parents, we sometimes put other things first or our work priorities first. I know I certainly have. In the first couple of years, we have seven children, but the first couple, you know, they got ripped off. Dad was never home. And I'm making up for it the best I can. We're never on our deathbed. Given the example of the rum company, 
You're not going to go, man, I wish I spent more time at the office. We've all heard those adages before. So I really like that, the pyramid. So it's you, your family, your friends, and then your work. And you know what? When I heard this, listened to this interview, I didn't have it quite right, but I've made those adjustments. So those great insights, great advice. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Cliff Quicksell. In your work, Cliff, you say that you get your best efforts from others, not by lighting a fire beneath them, but by building a fire within. Go into a little more detail about that. Look, we've all worked for people that walk around with the iron fist right? and think the constant pounding into someone's head. And I think some people do it and they don't even know they don't know, berating people into action. The reality is that's not the best motivator. I'm working on a project now with one of my clients and there's two or three of the salespeople that are just not fully engaged. And I'm saying, look, I don't want this to be the Cliff Quick Sell Show. I want this to come from you. I want you to feel good about it. When we finish the project and we put it into play, I want you to feel good about it inside. And if you feel good about it, go back to what I said a minute ago, then what's going to happen is when you're talking about it, when you're engaging folks about it, it's going to show. You're going to have some buy-in. You're going to have some energy to that. I mean, that can go two ways, you know, that excitement. One of my clients, I love her to death, but she (laughs) says to me, she goes, every time you go silent on me, I know something's going to go. I said, what do you mean? I said, I will say something to you and all of a sudden you won't talk and I'll know, oh my God, I know he's going to say something to me that I might not like. So you know what? I get very excited seeing people succeed. I know that might sound kind of- No, it's a payoff. I get it. I totally get it. When the light bulbs go off and you see the results, when we get emails from people who are maybe in a talk or a program or you're consulting and they say, hey, thanks for this, or this made a difference, it really does make it, it's it's nice. It's That's why we do what we do. I mean, the money's always good, of course. That that helps us do things and live our life and do the things we love to do, right? But that payoff is why we keep doing it, you know, well past retirement age. There's basically no sense of retirement because we love what we do. And if you love what you do, it's really not work. Why would I, it's like, <laughs> you'll, you'll appreciate this, I'm sure, because we're close to the same age. I tell everyone, they ask me, when are you going to retire, Mike? And I go, never, like, I don't believe in it. And they're like, well, what do you mean you don't believe in retirement? I go, why would I want to retire? I said, here's how I do my job. They fly me in. And if it's a long flight over three, four hours, they bump me up. So that's a good deal. They usually have a car waiting for me. I get to the engagement. They usually have a nice room for me, right? Usually there's a nice dinner or something the night before where I get to go to. They introduce me to do my job. I get applause when I do my job. Sometimes I even get a standing ovation, sometimes. And then I get a thank you. I get a check and I get a ride back to the airport. And then I come home 
and I have a whole list of chores to do. I got to go do this. I got to do this. And there's no checks. There's no applause. There's no standing ovations. It's me doing all of those other things. So I'm going, why would I want to quit and give that up? I, I know you can relate. Yeah, there's no question. No question at all. That's perfectly said. I mean, it was interesting when my daughter was about nine, she goes, dad, what is it that you do? My daughter's 30 now. Yeah. And I said, well, I speak in front of audiences. And she goes, what does that mean? I said, I get up and I talk. And then she says, people give you money to do I know, that? right? She says, I think I'm going to do that someday. Yeah, they don't realize what goes into it. And you're never a prophet in your own land. I always try and be a good resource for my kids, but they have to come to it on their own. It doesn't work that way. So we get that. So when you talk about lighting the fire, you're talking about engagement too. And how do we get people engaged? Do you have any strategies? Because a lot of our listeners are business owners. And with the job market the way that it is, there's mass exodus. People are moving. They don't want to work. This new lifestyle, they've kind of grown accustomed to it. They can work in their Lululemons from remote or in different locations. How can we, as business owners and executives and leaders, create engagement with the people that serve us or work with us? I think the, the simplest way I can think of is that you have to make everything relevant to the person. I know you're amazing with copy and creative and stuff like that. And I think you realize that the written word is right. very powerful. But there's too many times that I see companies that are either trying to entice people to come on board or they're trying to gain marketers. They're trying to gain new clients or prospective clients. And they really focused on the company, their company, as opposed to the end user right. or to the person that they're trying to engage. Right. So from an engagement standpoint, I find that oftentimes people are making it more relevant about themselves than they are about the person that they're trying to attract. I see this in business all the time that folks just don't take the time to understand who their customers are. Right. Who that audience and, you know, is and what are their values? What do they need? What's the problem you're solving? Right. And I mean, I think it goes back to one of your Canadian brethren, Simon Sinek. He talks about what is your why? Yeah. And certainly I don't do it as prolifically as he does, but I can tell you that I'm a big, big, big fan of his. And I tell people all the time, go watch that TED talk if you want to change the direction of your business. He's right. amazing. Well, so, and it's finding your why. And Simon does a great job with it because it's really about the why. People don't buy the thing. They buy what the thing does. People do things. It's like what we do. We do our work because A, it's good work. We like it. It's fun. It's rewarding. But we do it because it allows us to go and do the things we really love to do. And for me, my wife and I, we like to golf. So we'll golf once a week. I like to fly airplanes, ride motorcycles. It affords the lifestyle. The money is just the tool, but the work allows us to do those things. And you should find something you're excited about and passionate about. Don't worry about the money part of it. The money comes if you're excellent at what you do. Engagement's a big one. And I know it fuels the best results. And you've shared a couple of good strategies to help us understand that. Now, as a business owner or a leader or professional, you maintain that now is the time to take an introspective look at what it is that we do, how we train and motivate those around us. How do you stoke that fire of passion inside your employees, your team, your family? Yeah, I would think that the the biggest thing is people's lack of developing a plan or a strategy. I mean, I find oftentimes that people don't even know where they want to go. I'm talking to a business owner, a small business owner, and I'll go, what were your profits last month? Right. And they go, I have no idea. <laughs> or what do you hope to accomplish right. this year? I have no idea. They're just going through the motions, going back to what you said earlier about the mediocrity. 
How do you stoke that? Again, I think if somebody has an understanding about where they are now, wherever that is, and where they want to go, and what those steps or milestones are that are going right. to get them there, right. is when they can start seeing that progress. And then all of a sudden, if you want to increase your margins this month or this year, what does that look like? It doesn't have to be this. Right. It could be incremental. I personally think that most people don't have enough confidence in themselves, right. salespeople especially. Right. There's some salespeople that are just absolutely brilliant, but then there's some salespeople that struggle. They just struggle internally with trying to get things done because they have no strategy or zero plan. Right. So people don't choose, they don't put a runner on their boat. So when you don't have a runner on your boat, the winds can blow you all over the place. And people are reactive instead of proactive. And I know you teach this and maintain this. You can go get basically anything you want if you put your mind to it. So set the focus, the goal, and then move incrementally towards that goal or objective and get better at it. Great analogy, by the way, about the rudder. Yeah, you can be proactive in your life or you can be reactive in your life. And I want to talk about motivation because I know you work in this field, in this area. And one of the areas that I found interesting is when I look at, say, sales organizations, or businesses, I always ask the employees, what percentage of your output are you really operating? What's your capacity? Like being honest, and we do it anonymously. And this number shows up all the time, 60, 65%. And so what I'm really saying to the business owners are your people are only working at about a 60, 65%, 70 tops capacity level, because they're trading value, the money they receive for their effort for value, and they decide when it's fair. And so they're really not going beyond themselves, all right, and that extra mile. So I always ask them, if you had the right incentive, is there room for you to grow? And most people say, yes, there is. And what's interesting is I ask them, if money was no object, what would you buy for yourself? And I've had people say, well, I'd get a nice, beautiful custom set of golf clubs and golf lessons in San Diego. I'd get a nice suit. I'd buy a motorcycle. I'd buy this. And so incentivization came from finding out what it is that they're interested in doing. So for instance, in my stage in my career, if you offer me more money, that's not the motivator. The motivator for me right now is time. Time is a motivator for me. And it's a currency. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I do know I have today. For some people, it's prestige. Other people, it's security. Other people, it's knowledge, information. Do you have strategies for motivating people that you've used or seen successfully used with some of the clients you've worked with? Well, I don't want to be redundant here, but I think for me, I go back to the plan thing. And I think what you said is perfect. Uncovering, first of all, what is their desire? An example of this, I talked to a client of mine and a little bit frustrated. This is about a couple of years ago. He's very frustrated with a couple of his salespeople that just didn't seem to want to do more. And this particular person incentivized the daylights out of everybody. I mean, it was crazy. And I said, well, maybe they don't want to do any more than they're doing now. And if, <laughs> exactly. if, if, I mean, they're, it's, they're, and you can't force someone to do no, that. No. Now, if you go to them and ask them the question, what is it that you want to accomplish this year? What would that look like to you? And see, I'm like you. I don't get incentivized by somebody writing me a check. I do believe 100% that the money comes. You do the work, the money will come. That's I don't right. even focus on that. And it's really interesting. But when I sit down and I work with people, I'll say, it's most important to you. And I go through that whole pyramid thing with them. Right. Are you spending enough time with your family? What would you like to do? And so when you can make it personal about that, and then all of a sudden, if I could spend more time with my family, or if I could play, like you said, play golf more, then you need to carve that time out for yourself. Right. And let's work around those things that are important to you. And when people can see that they can work, 
make money and do the things that they like to do or the things that they want to do that they haven't been doing, yeah. that incentivizes themselves. That's right. If you can link it to their values, then that's what you're saying. Now, from a sales and marketing point of view, many business owners and organizations often fail to look at what buyers are actually looking for. So we start our businesses, we got a good product, we have a good service, but they have a very limited perspective. So when people aren't buying their product, they always resort to discounting. And then it's always a race to the bottom. Price becomes the issue. And one thing I've always talked about is price is never the issue unless it is the issue. And when it's the issue, it's the only issue. Survey after survey, it shows up fourth, seventh, ninth. Why'd you buy the product? And price just doesn't come up. And you talk about this and on your website, and you've got lots of great resources for this, but there can only be one price leader. And that can happen with the stroke of a pen, but price doesn't even show up on the survey. So there's 10 things you talk about where buyers are looking for based on survey results. And so you've got some good data to back you up on this. So the first one is a strategic thinker. And I just want to run down this list quickly, but what's your feel on that? What do you mean by a strategic thinker, what they're looking for? Well, a strategic thinker is one that asks a lot of good questions. See, in order for me to deliver a proper solution or a series of solutions, I'm going to need to ask the proper questions, the right questions, in order to uncover those opportunities. And then not just surface questions like, what do you want? How much do you want to spend? And when do you need it? It's more trying to uncover what the values are of the person that they're trying to attract. Sure. So as a strategic thinker, it's finding out what it is they want so you can actually find out what their goals are. One of the questions we ask is, where do you want to be? Because if you don't know where you want to go, you're back to the boat without a rudder. Because our only job is to help you cross that chasm, that gap between where you are today and where you want to be. So great advice. Number two was a clear understanding of the client's business. How do we do that? And how can we do that quickly? My dad once told me, God rest his soul. He said to me, it's not my job to teach the salesperson about my business. They need to do the research Mm -hmm. and they need to come to me. So if I want to understand what's going on, I'm going to have to take the time to research the client. Yeah, I can tell the from work. the conversations that you and I've had that you've done a deep dive on my website and right. whatnot. So you have to understand what are they doing? What are their goals? Right. What are the values set for that company? And I think that would be the first thing. And you say quickly, I think that what happens is that when you start doing that regularly, yeah. you know exactly where to look. You exactly. Know the right questions to ask. That's right. And that way it makes it that much quicker and easier for you to find that information. No, oh, that's right. Even prepping for our interviews, I'll read your books, your articles, your magazines, listen to your talks while I'm working out. So I'm getting the feel of your mindset. And then I know where to go find the gems. What are the things that, oh man, that stands out. That's great. That's a goal. That's insight right there. So I think you're right. And you can learn about most industries and most industries operate the same. I think the fallacy is that our business is different and unique than anyone else's. I haven't met one yet. I mean, the products and services change, but at the end of the day, the way people buy hasn't and the homework that they do. So again, I think that's good advice. You talk about number four being excellent creative work. Now, not everyone thinks they're creative. So What do you mean to give us an example of excellent creative work? When you think about it, if you came to me and you said, Cliff, I want you to help me with something from a marketing perspective, I want it to be something that stands out, that's unique, that's different. If I wanted boring and mediocre, I could go anywhere. And I think that that to me... From my standpoint in the space that I've worked in for so long, that has been a huge differentiator for me. What's one of your best examples of one? Hey, we were doing this, but then we did this and here was our results. I've done a lot of them, but 
I did one years ago, goofing around on the internet, and I found these wind-up teeth, the clattering <laughs> teeth. There was a group of organizations within this organization. There was 38 regional associations within this group. And I wanted to do a marketing piece that would reach out to those people. And I basically did one that said, on the front of the box, it said, tired of the same old chatter. And when you open the box, I had wound the teeth up and they started clacking. It was interesting because I called one of them just doing my follow-up calls. And right. literally the guy picked up the phone. He must've known it was my number because it was like, it's there clacking it goes. away. He goes, dude, I'm telling you something. I almost had a heart attack. He goes, but that was the funniest thing that I have ever sure. seen. And I wound up booking 18 speaking engagements out of those wow. 38. Yeah, wow. it was crazy. Yeah. Well, it and, crazy. It, and it's taking time to be creative, be it maybe a little cheesy, maybe whatever it is. I saw one sales rep, she had these special forks done and she had them engraved and she'd send these forks to her clients or to the prospective client. And it just said, I want your business so bad I can taste it. But she got phone calls. And How about it? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, exactly. And on your website, you give lots of stories in your blog too, and different examples. So people can go there and we'll have all that information in the show notes so that they can go check that out as well. I love this one. Ability to think outside the box. You call it melting the box. And what do you mean by that? I like doing things that, like I said, as corny and goofy as it sounded with the chattering right. teeth. Now, I don't always do cheeky things like that, but right. my vision as a marketer is I have a rule. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone mentally, spiritually, or physically, the gloves are off. Excellent. My job as a marketer is to open the door of opportunity. That's what it is. And that door of opportunity could be a face-to-face -face meeting. It could be a phone call. I just need the opportunity to chat with someone. Yeah. And with all the clutter that we've got going mm -hmm. on, I need to do things that are going to set me apart. I did an orange juice container because I do a, a session on stimulating your creative juices. And we did this <laughs> orange juice container that had my picture on the side and it said missing from all of your sales and marketing training. Excellent. I had that. I had an orange air freshener in it so that when you open the box, you could smell the orange. I mean, I wound wow. up booking two speaking engagements in the same week in Puerto Rico. And the woman that announced me on the stage for our sales and marketing executives, she spent 10 minutes talking about the marketing piece. I mean, what better thing? So again, that to me is the type of thing that melts the box, that when they get something, they just go, wow. Yeah, that's something wow. else. Yeah, no. it's different. And it right. makes them think. That's my goal is to make no, people and, think. And that's a great way to do it. And that should be the approach to it and take the risks. And like I say, there's so many opportunities for it. You talk about proven success with clients. This would be our testimonials, probably our authority, people of success. Is that what you mean by that? Yeah. Oftentimes I've gone into situations from when I was heavy on the sales side, I worked a lot in specific vertical markets. Right. So I wasn't all over the board. So I had five or six vertical markets that I worked in. Right. Typically people would want to know, have you done anything for anybody else that right. uh, has been successful? And when you can relay that and say, yeah, I worked for this, this, and this, and this is what we did. This was the results. Oh, and oftentimes in this vertical space, I would have people say, well, I know that person. Well, then you feel free to give them a call. They'll right. happily tell you what the results were. So having that knowledge base or having success, I think that's what people look for. Right. People are looking for people that have a successful track record. And then it leads us into the next one, which is the ability to measure what's that ROI or the ROI on that campaign. So whatever your budget is for that particular project, how do I maximize the most impact from that? So when we think about, there's a lot of emphasis that's put on ROI, return on investment, right? right. And it's important, but return on objective, the ROO, I think is really key. Mm. I don't think a lot Make of a folks difference. will measure, for instance, if they're going to a trade show, what does it cost for you to bring that buyer to that trade show? There was an example that you and I talked about 
with that tennis club that I worked with several right. years ago. They were spending close to $2,500 to get a new member. And with just a little bit of reconfiguring of the way they were thinking and the messaging and the target audience, they were able to drill that down to like $52 per new member. Right. So same budget wound up doing a multiple in terms of return. And see, again, the crazy thing to me is you're going to spend money and you're not going to measure what that kind of return is. And most people don't do it. And it really, it's a shocker to me. It's right. an absolute shocker. Yeah, it is to me. And RO is a great way to define that. And I remember we had one client one time and they, well, two scenarios, they did trade shows. So they're always going to trade shows and booths have just got really expensive. And we're talking $10,000 for a booth and it can be successful or not, depending on what's going on. And the budget just wasn't there in order to make that work. But what was in the budget, because there was a lot of people, is we hired people, models primarily to wear t-shirts with front and back messages and just bought attendance for them and had them walk around two by two on the show floor. So they're just walking back and forth because instead of someone coming to the booth, the booth was going to them. And we had eight or nine people. I think there was four groups, four teams, just constantly walking with bright colored shirts, with the messaging on the shirts, with the website and information. And it cost a fraction of what the actual trade show did. We had another client and budget wasn't such an issue. And every hour on the top of the hour, they had Haagen-Dazs ice cream bars. They'd come by the booth in limited quantity lineups. So as you're walking down the aisles, you saw a big lineup and you did go back for that Haagen-Dazs bar. So lots of different ways in order to do that. So I have a buddy of mine that owns a company and we were at a trade show. I went to the restroom and inside the urinal screen, there was a logo on there. It said, don't piss away your profits. Stop by booth 565 to see what we have to offer. Brilliant. I went by the booth and it was packed right. like all men. There was like a hundred right. people around this booth. <laughs> and I said to him, I go, John, what the heck? He goes, Cliff, I got fined for marketing off of the show floor for 500 bucks. He goes, but it's the best 500 bucks I've I ever spent. spent. Yeah, absolutely. whatever gets their attention. It, it went viral. Hey, I, I thought that was brilliant. Exactly. Was and you sometimes never know. Another one you have done is the clear articulation of your vision. Explain that a little more. Well, I think it's the articulation of it. I think it goes back to what Simon talks about the why. I mean, it's not so much my vision, but what I'm doing in my business, my why, how does that benefit you? Right. How do I take those things that I'm doing that I bring to the table, all the talents that I bring to the table, and how does it benefit you? I go back, it's so many times that I've talked to people, and it really is scary that people are all focused about, this is who I am, this right. is what I do, yep. as opposed to, this is what we do, but this is how it benefits you. This is how we can help you grow to do these things to achieve those successes. You see it on websites all the time. You come to the website and it's just an online brochure. Here's how wonderful we are. We're number one in our markets. We do this with me, 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 me. People stay on the website for about 30 seconds and they're off somewhere else. Where if you really look at the websites and we talk about this is you got to get my attention in 10 seconds. And what problem do you solve? Am I in the right place? And then bring me into that funnel to where it's about you and the problem I solve. And then in your about section, you can put a little bit more about you. They'll find it. But right now, what problem do you solve? And is that a problem that I have? And can you solve it? Right. Resources to grow with the company. Obviously, sometimes when you have a small business, you're limited. Money's tight. So you've got to be creative. And all of these things are important. But you've got to be able to have these resources. What's kind of the scope of resources that you're thinking about here? Well, a lot of people feel when I talk to them that the resources have to do with money. And money is important, but do you have the right technology? If you're a solopreneur, that's fine. But Brian Walters from NSA, yes. I remember he came out on the stage once and I use this all the time. I even asked him if I had permission, but it was interesting. 
he came out and said that this is his presidential edict when he was president about four years ago at NSA meeting. He goes, it's called Wislitzy. If you want something, leverage the community. And every industry, I don't care what industry you're in, there is talent around you that you need to tap into. Access. You yeah. got to be willing to give back, right? And those resources, those are key. Knowing what you know and what you do. When somebody says to me, hey, Cliff, I need somebody that really understands. Can you help me write copy? Right. No, I can give you a little bit of insight, but I've got a guy that I know that can do it for you. Right. And when I talk about the resources to help a client grow, right. it's being the conduit, whether you're doing it or being the conduit of information where you can help direct people. So you've got the resources, they're coming to you. You're the concierge for your clients, for your relationships. They come to you and, hey, you know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy, and you're the one who's connected. Excellent, excellent strategy. Last one, there's ability to execute an integrated strategy. When I wrote that, that's really about the space that I'm in. In the promo side of the business is where I kind of basically grew up. But right. just being able to provide a product to someone or it has to go further than that. It's like I was telling you this new company that I'm considering launching. I can provide the product for people, but if they don't have the FAQs, the scripts that they can use or things that they can fall back on to help them deliver it from A to Z, then you're basically having people just rely on their own methodology. And sometimes that just doesn't work. It's like what you were talking about your follow-up, right? okay? That post-follow-up that you had with somebody, that was as important as the preliminary call that that's you right. And that's the thing that people remember because you've carried the process all the way through. Yeah, they just want to know you're thinking about them when there's no transaction in play. My friend, I got to tell you something. That is scary. And I tell you, because I've been doing that exact same thing for years. When I had my promo company, I decided that I wasn't giving holiday gifts and Christmas gifts. Right. Based on the client's sales with us That's for that right. year, we would give an anniversary gift in kind. And that is amazing. I cannot that, tell you how many people have just been blown away by that. Absolutely. And big clients we do big things for, little clients we do little things for. We just sent some chocolates, some Belgian chocolates with their own packaging, with their own branding on them. And so we had them done for us. We like to do really good chocolates for the office and a nice plant. I get a phone call from the VP at the end of the day. And he says, first of all, thank you very much. And everything was appreciated. So oh, you're welcome. He goes, I got to tell you, it's 29 years in business. We spend a billion a years with our vendors. Guess how many anniversary acknowledgements we received today? And I'm like, tell me. He goes, none, just yours. Yours was the only one. And I was a new vendor for this particular client. It's just an untouched area and does require a little more effort, a little more work. You need a good CRM system to remind you. But there's tons of things you can do to let the client know you're thinking about them, even when there's no transaction plan, honor their dates. We should be saying thank you to everything. And then also, hey, it's been a year. It's been two years. It's been three years because no one else is doing that. Insight gold. So I'm glad to hear you validate that because it's definitely worked for us as well. It reminds me of that quote that says, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is just a little extra. It's a small increment, so small little touches. And we always say success in life and love, it's in the details. We're going to have your contact information in our show notes. If they want to get you from a speaking perspective, if they want to reach out from a consulting or a partnering perspective, they can get to your website, which is www.quicksellspeaks.com. And again, we'll have all that in the information. Do you also help clients with promotional items and setting up campaigns? Is that an area that your company offers? Yes. If somebody wanted to develop a creative marketing campaign or something like that, yeah, we definitely can. Do they can that. reach out to you. Excellent. I'm doing a project right now for a client of mine in Australia where we're just doing a customized pop-up card, a three-dimensional pop-up card. Sure. They have a limited budget done 
more extensive online virtual shows and things like that, all levels. So I encourage the listeners, those who are looking for items or campaigns or be able to supplement their existing market efforts, reach out to Cliff. Well, Cliff, this has really been an interesting conversation. You've been generous with your insights and your strategies. We'll post that contact information in the show notes, but if they can contact you directly again at your website. So thank you for sharing your time. Very generous with your insights. It's my pleasure. And thank you for reaching out. I really do appreciate it. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.